0: Hey, welcome to Church Alive. We hope this message is something fresh, real, and powerful for your life. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the message. Excellent. Thank you. Come on, can we give Jesus one more big shout of praise? Be so good. Fantastic. You can grab your seats. Thanks so much, guys. Fantastic. Everyone doing Good. Good. It's good to be in the new building. How good is this, man? I'm I'm just so proud of these guys. Uh, they're such incredible friends, and and you know just to see church just go from glory to glory, strength to strength, and you know church has probably doubled in the lot since I've been here or more. And uh, who knows that this is just the beginning? Come on, this is just the beginning. Come on, God's just getting started with a live church and uh, the. Uh, uh, I uh, just give me a wave if you've never heard me speak before, just to help me a little bit. Oh, wow! Far out. Awesome. Well, welcome, and uh, it's good that you've already been trained a little in the Australian accent. Uh, you may understand more than most. Um, But uh, I I was a drug addict for 10 years of my life. Uh, I I I had mental illness, drug-induced psychosis. The television would speak to me. I was suicidal. Had an auntie that prayed for 17 years. And after 17 years of prayer, God miraculously turned up in my life, broke the mental illness off my life, healed me of drug addiction. Uh, Who knows that God's power is real? And... uh, And just something that I've been traveling around the world full time, this is my eighth year, but I've probably never been as excited as what I am about something we've just launched, which is our ministry now is called A Freedom Experience. So afreedomexperience.com and really my wife and I have given the rest of our lives to help people find A Freedom Experience. And and, and you know, in the last three months, in eight years I've seen, you know, more than 10,000 people get saved, I've seen thousands get free of stuff, but in the last three months I have almost seen more uh testimonies of freedom than I had in the whole seven years of preaching and, and just something has shifted and a big part of it is what I'm going to tell you about but but I've just been regularly seeing people get free of anxiety of depression of pornography addiction I'm talking like bang God turns up and what was hard now is not hard and uh so miraculously and and one of the ways that we're seeing so many testimonies is uh through it we've started a uh at A a Freedom Experience, an online freedom experience. And basically, it's a 21-day journey of of radical God encounter, but then also of mind renewal where someone takes one destructive mindset, whether it's fear, low self-worth, a victim mentality, whatever it might be, and and, and over 21 days, every day, work on that. And then there's crazy God encounter. There's a private Facebook community. Uh, I'm going to be out at the desk at the end so you can talk more about it if you'd like to know about that. If you sign up today... uh, It's 15% off. And, uh, you know, but but I really feel like I've got a word for today. And, and, uh, you know, really the key thing that led me to become what society would call a junkie is that when my parents divorced at five or six, I felt like my dad's love had been taken away from me. And and so I set off on a quest to try and get my dad's love back. And in my subconscious, as a little boy, I watched what my dad valued. And he he valued drug taking, excessive alcohol, uh, sleeping around, uh, being the person at the party that would make everybody else laugh. And as a little boy growing up, I thought, if I can get really good at all of those things, then maybe I'll get my dad's love back. And you know the story, it didn't get me his love back, but instead caused me to become what society would call a junkie that was mentally ill. And then I have this radical moment where I experience the love of the Father in a in a profound way, and I'm healed and free and born again. And and but see, I took I was I was fully in love with God, but I took the junk from the relationship with my earthly dad into my relationship with my heavenly Father. And I had this sense that if I didn't do all the things God valued, if I if I didn't please Him enough, if I didn't do all the right things, I wonder how long it'd be before he would leave just like my dad did. And so I would try and be super Christian and you know, had to read enough chapters a day and had to fast enough each month and tell enough people about Jesus and serve in every area there was to serve and go to every meeting that there possibly was. I would even go to the women's meeting. Okay, I was messed up. And really I was, I was trying to strive and earn something that was actually already a free gift from God. Uh, You could say in a sense that I was fully found and and born again, but at the same time I was lost. I was lost in religion, lost in works-based Christianity, trying to achieve something or get something that was actually already a free gift. And I want to talk about a story today, and the title of this message is called Lost in Religion, and and in my Bible it's titled uh, The Lost Son, but I actually believe it's an incorrect title. Now, without a doubt, the the Scripture is God-breathed, but the chapters, the verses, and the titles were actually only put in the Bible in the 1600s by publishers to make it easier to read the Bible. I believe in this particular moment, they missed the mark. It shouldn't be called the Lost Son. I'll explain why in a moment. See, I'm thankful they put the chapters and verses, because as a preacher, who knows it's a little easier to say, turn to Luke 15, verse 8. Rather than, hey, turn to that part where it talks about blah, blah, you know, Who knows, we could be here a long time. Uh, and so, but the, the, in my own words, the first part of the story, many of you will know it, is when the youngest son says to his father, he says, I've had enough. He says, give me my inheritance and I'm out of here. And he goes off to a distant country. The Bible says he squanders his money, his inheritance on wild living, on partying, on prostitution eventually a great famine comes to where he is at. Can I just sidetrack for a moment that sometimes a famine is actually a gift of God. Sometimes that thing that you think was from the devil was actually the grace and goodness of God because the famine was a vehicle to take you where you needed to be. See, who knows that the young boy would never have returned home if it weren't for the famine. The famine was a vehicle that was sent by God to bring the boy back to where he was meant to be. And so there's this famine and he's broke and destitute. And he takes a job feeding pigs, which was an abomination for a Jewish person. And he was so hungry that he desired to eat the pig food. Finally, he comes to his senses and he says, I'm going to go home because the servants in my father's house are treated better than this. I'll ask Dad if I could just be a servant instead of a son. He makes his way home with the pig muck all over him, the stench of the sinful life he'd been living. And I love this. The Bible says that while he was a long way off, the father saw him. You know what that shows me? You don't ever accidentally see someone that's a long way off. Like you don't accidentally see that person that's half a mile down the road. You only see someone that's a long way off if you're intently looking for that particular person. And it paints a picture of a father that probably stood at the same spot every day, looking down that stretch of road, thinking, I hope today is the day that my son returns home. And finally this day, the father sees him, he runs toward him. With the the pig muck all over and the stench of sin. And I, I love this, the father doesn't come to him. And say, hey son, clean yourself up and then we'll embrace. See, God's not freaked out by your mess. He grabs the boy with his mess and he pulls him tight and he puts his mouth on his neck and he kisses the son. But then the first thing he does is he says to the servants, get the robe, the best robe and put it on him. That robe speaks of the robe of righteousness which Jesus died for us to have. But the reason he put the robe on him, not because God was freaked out by his mess, but he wanted to cover him so that nobody else would see the mess. He wanted to cover him from the shame that other people would try and put upon him. Because love covers a multitude of sins. He put a ring on his finger which speaks of authority. You now own what I own again. He put sandals on his feet which speak of destiny. You know, as Christians, we're sometimes good at believing that God gives second chances but we have this religious mindset in the back of our mind that yes, He gives second chances, but now we have to take second best. I'm here to tell you that God's so good. He does second, third, fifth, eighth, tenth chances, and He'll still rework the script so that everybody else thinks, surely you were meant to end up at this place because it seems like you've finished in first place. He throws a great party and they celebrate, they kill a fattened calf and they celebrate. And then we find ourselves in the not so popular part of the text in Luke 15 verses 25 to 32. It says, Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field. When he came to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. See, let me tell you, the reason it shouldn't be called the lost son, it should actually be called the two lost sons. Because who knows that you might be just as lost, if not more, than the person that came into the church if you're angry about someone coming into the house of God and getting saved. So his father went out and he pleaded with him. In other words, come into the party. But he answered the father, look all these years. (coughs) Excuse me. Look at all these years that I've been in a live church. I've been on the ushers team. I've been tithing. I've helped in kids ministry. I've done car park. I've done every area there is to do. Where's my party? I'm paraphrasing just in case you're wondering. Some of you are like, it doesn't say that. Uh, (laughs) Next slide. Where's my party? But when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for it. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. And it goes on that we had to celebrate because he was dead and now he is alive again. See, remember I said to you that originally there was no chapters, no verses, no titles. Well, when this particular text was written that Jesus spoke these parables, he didn't speak one parable, he spoke three parables. But they all have one meaning. So remember he told a parable first, he talked about a, sh- a hundred sheep and, and one of those sheep, it, it left the safety and comfort of the pen and it got caught up in the thickets. And so the shepherd who represents God had to go and get the sheep that was lost and bring him back into the safety of the pen. No chapters, no verses, no titles, straight into the next story. He says, at the same time, there was a woman who represents God. She had 10 coins and and she lost one of those coins in her house. And so so she turned on the light. She swept and swept and swept and she searched the house until she found the coin that was lost. No chapters, no titles, no verses, straight into the next parable. He says, there was a man and he had two sons. The youngest son, well, let's just say he was a sheep that decided to leave the safety and comfort of the house. And because he left the comfort of the house, he got caught up in the thickets of life and the shepherd had to go and rescue him from the thickets and bring him back into the house. But at the same time, there was an older brother and the older brother, he was a coin that was actually lost inside of the house. See, he was in the house, but he was just as lost as the younger brother who had left the house. See, because you can be lost in the world, but you can be just as lost in the house. You can be lost in the world, caught in the thickets of life, or you can be lost in religion inside of the house. See, I would put to you that it's more dangerous to be lost in religion than it is to be lost in the world. The reason I say that, and forgive me for being graphic, but while this younger brother was sleeping with prostitutes, there wasn't a morning that he woke up and thought to himself, I wonder if I'm lost, And at least if you know that you're lost, then you also know that you eventually need to be found again. But when you're lost in religion, in other words, it stopped being about relationship and has just become about religion, you can often be lost, but you don't even know that you're lost or you don't know that you need to be found. (laughs) See, the whole thing of a religious spirit, a a religious mindset, is its agenda is to distort the way that you see the Father. See, it's very evident in this story that Jesus paints a beautiful picture of the Father in this story who represents God, an accurate, true picture of who the Father is. But it's very evident, it's obvious to see that this older brother, he did not see the same picture that Jesus was painting. He saw the same man, but he saw a different perception of who this man was, a wrong and untrue perception. And I want to just quickly give you two ways where a religious mindset... Religion being the opposite of relationship where a religious mindset or spirit will distort the way you see the Father. The first one is this. A religious mindset will see God the Father as a taskmaster instead of a rewarder. And just because I live in America now, I'm going to say taskmaster, okay, just for you. I'm a little bilingual now, you know, just un poquito. Uh, uh. And so, so he sees Him as a taskmaster, Instead of a rewarder. See, remember, remember in verse 29, he says, look at all that I've done. I've been working, I've been slaving. I've been saying no to all the things that everyone else is saying yes to. In other words, come on, man, like where's my reward? See, a lot of people see God like that, a taskmaster who demands a whole lot but doesn't give much in return. See, the reason the devil wants you to see God like this is because no one wants to hang out with a taskmaster. See, because every time you hang out with a taskmaster, they've always got another job for you to do and there's not much in return that you get from it. And so it distorts. But see, remember God's response when He said, where's my party? Look at what I've done. God says, hey, son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. See, I would put to you that geographically He was with Him, but He wasn't really with Him. Who knows, you can come to church, but you're not really at church. Who knows, you can be in worship, but you weren't really in worship. You could be listening to the living Word of God that could change anything, but you're not really listening to the living Word of God. So He was with Him, but I'd put to you that He wasn't really with Him. See, see, think about this, is what God is saying. See, when you're with Him in intimacy, not religion, but in relationship, your eyes will be open to the fact that everything He has is actually already mine. See, the more that I'm with Him, then I start to see, you know what? Peace instead of anxiety, that's mine. Joy instead of depression, I'll have some of that too. A marriage that people look at and say, I want their marriage, that's mine as well. Children that are on fire for Jesus, that's mine too. Prosperity and blessing and favour and grace and mercy, I'm going to have all of it. But see, it's when you're with Him intimately that your eyes are open to what you actually have. That's why the devil wants you to see Him as a taskmaster, because then you'll stop being with Him. And your eyes will not be open to what you actually have. See, in other words, God's saying to this guy, if you knew that you were with me, you could have had a party every single week. But he wasn't with him. See, it's such a lie that God's a taskmaster, because He's the opposite. He's actually a rewarder. I could give you a hundred scriptures where it talks about God rewards. He diligently rewards those that seek Him. The the, the biggest one, I don't have time to do it. The biggest one is the whole institution of sowing and reaping. I remember about 17, 17, 18 years ago, God opened my eyes and He showed me that, Lucas, I don't speak about seed time without also mentioning harvest time. Lucas, I don't speak about sowing. You do a study of this without mentioning reaping. Lucas, I don't speak about giving without actually mentioning receiving in the same sentence. And those two things are always together because God's a rewarder. The the Scripture that tipped me over the edge because He showed me this 18 years ago. He goes, you try and find one. I couldn't find a Scripture. And the one that blew my mind is He writes a thank you letter to to the Philippian church because they were the generous ones to Him. They supported Him. And he does something very unusual. Let's just say, if Fernando felt to give me a whole lot of money, man, I just feel something on that then. Like, no, I'm not mucking around. Like when I said that, Fernando, I just felt something like, hang on a second, I'm seeing a figure right now as well. Hang on a second. No, I'm just messing with you, okay? Don't get religious on me. But let's just say, Fernando did that. He, he just felt to bless us. And I wrote him a letter, an email, a text, whatever. I would say, hey, Fernando, thank you so much. That was incredibly helpful. It came at a perfect moment. And I want to thank you for your generosity. Paul writes a letter to the church and he doesn't just say thank you for your giving. He actually, this, this, this rocked my mind. He said, you were the only church that got involved in the matter of giving and receiving. And then if you go down a few verses in verse 19 of chapter 4 Philippians, he says, And my God shall supply all of your needs according to His riches. I don't want to offend anyone. But that Scripture is not for everyone. That promise is for the church that tapped in to giving and receiving, sowing and reaping, that was sowing in faith, and they could stand on the fact that God would supply all of their needs according to His riches a little while ago, I was visiting in Australia. It was last year in June. And, you know, when we came from America, Australia to America, it was a big uh, financial hit for us. It was a big faith step. God said, you'll go back two steps to take five steps forward. Thankfully, I feel like we're now starting to step into the steps forward, but it's taken about two and a half years. And so we came and instead of having two cars like we did in Australia, we had one. And instead of being a big house, we went into a, a little apartment. And, and, and so we're visiting in Australia in June and We fly back over, we fly into LA and these friends of ours, they they ring us and they said, when you get home, come straight to our house. Don't even go home. This beautiful Malaysian couple. And if I be honest with you, it was quite annoying. (laughs) Because Australia, it's about a 20 hour trip. You drive from LA, that's about two, two hours, 20 minutes. They live 20 minutes past my house. So they were adding 40 minutes to my like 20 plus hour trip. But they were so insistent. And they got a guy pick us up from LA, we end up we park at their house, they come out, I'm thinking, what in the world? Why couldn't have this waited until tomorrow? We get out, we're doing small talk, all of a sudden they both start crying. And they press the button on their remote control and the garage door comes up and there's a 2016 uh, Toyota Highlander eight seater that they paid thirty two thousand dollars with their own money and they're crying, they said, Connells, this is your new car that you're driving home with. You know the amazing thing, I went home that night, I was laying, that day I was laying on the bed, I was jet-lagged. After an hour I wake up and I look across, my wife has a prayer wall with different scriptures and, and promises and pictures. And I look and there is a car on her prayer wall and I walk over. It is the exact same car, model, make and colour that's now sitting in my garage. It's been on her wall for one year. But see, there's always a backstory to the story. Three months before this moment, I'm in a church and I just start believing, God, I'm in a church now that's a, a big, thinking, faith-filled church. I said, I'm going to start believing for $10,000. God, I'm just going to believe that you're going to somehow give me $10,000. And I pray it and I'm just expecting God to say, yeah, cool, no problem. But He says to me in my spirit, He says, but you've never sown in tens of thousands. He said, you've sown lots in ones, Lucas, and you've reaped way more than you've sown in the realm of ones. And that's true, and it's been true for a long time. And he says, but you've never sown in tens. If you sow in tens, you'll reap in tens. I'm like, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> I'm like, man, I'm just asking for 10,000. Don't flip it back on me. Doesn't God always do that? And so for two, three months, I never tell anyone. I don't even tell my wife. It's getting to the point where it's out what we call vision builders, which is what you're going to do in two Sundays. And so it's getting to that point And we know that when we fly back, it's going to be Vision Sunday. I finally talked to my wife. I said, what are we going to give? And we've always been generous in that realm. And for the first time, I said, listen, for three months, I've been praying for $10,000. And God keeps telling me, if I sow intense, I'll reap intense." My wife's a woman of faith. And she says, all right, let's do it for us. That was our last $10,000 of our savings from the move that we had done. It was the last bit. We made a decision that we would go back. Before I could even get to the offering plate with my money, there was a $32,000 car waiting for me in a garage. You know, the the thing that happened after that is, is two, three months later, I get the idea for A Freedom Experience, which is helping people all over the world now. But then a business guy comes to me last October and he hears about our vision and he says, listen, I want you to be able to do it properly the website, the filming, the whole deal. He says, I'm going to give you $30,000 to make it happen. But then he says, look, there's one problem. He says, is it okay if I just give you 10000 now, 10000 next month and 10000 the month after? Yeah. I think we're reaping in tens. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. Just two months ago, someone gave us $10,000. See, I don't like that. The, I just feel this right. Just in case you're getting religious on me. And you're saying, well, the Scripture says don't, you know, tell what you're doing. The left hand, not what you're right. I know that Scripture. It's speaking to a Pharisee spirit that is standing up saying, hey, look how good I am. I can stand here right now. My spirit is that I want you to test God in the one area that He says to test Him. I want some people to step out and say, you know what? I'm going to do something that I've never done before. And I'm going to see whether or not God's a rewarder. You know, I don't like the statement when we say it. And I understand why we say it. And I've said it many times. But when preachers say, don't give to get. Now, I understand why we say it, okay? That it's not a selfish thing that we do. But, but I actually believe it does more harm than good. And again, just in case you're getting religious on me, Jesus, God, sorry, the Father gave to get. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, so yes, He was motivated by love, He gave his one and only son to die on a cross, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. So when God, who instituted sowing and reaping, when He sowed Jesus, he didn't sit back and go, "Oh, I don't really care if I get anything back or not." No, when he sowed Jesus, he says, I'm going to be believing for a harvest every time the Gospels preach, every time someone else says yes to Jesus, I'm going to say thank you that I sowed that seed and I would reap from the seed. Yeah. See, see, a lot of people, religion's okay with you giving but not receiving. Because if you keep giving at a religion, you'll eventually grow weary and it'll actually affect you when you're giving. But if you will tap in to giving, but then have faith that because I've sown and done God's principle, now I'm going to get ready to receive. If you tap into that, oh, next week we're going Thursday night to our dinner. My wife and I are already going, how can we double what we did last year? Because I don't have the money. But I mean, if that's what happened last year, well, like, do you know what I'm saying? I'm addicted. I'm like, I'm done, man. Like, Like what would happen if we went even higher and further and above? And see, the enemy's okay with you giving but not receiving. See, think about it like this. If I was to get a tennis ball and throw it in the air and say there was a high ceiling, uh, what would I do once I throw it? I would now get position to catch the ball, yeah? Yeah. Because I believe in the law of gravity. And it tells me that the tennis ball is coming back so I should get ready to catch it. When you understand that He's a rewarder, and that he introduced a principle called sowing and reaping, then every time you sow, then you get ready to receive. I don't know how it's coming. Is God going to bless our business? Is a new creative idea coming that unlocks something? Is it a promotion? Is someone going to come out of left field and give us something? I don't know what it is, but I'm ready to receive. See, you know how you know when you're still in that religious mindset, and this might hurt a bit, but I want to tell you that I'm speaking to myself too because I've done this many times. You know when you're in that religious mindset when you get upset about someone else being blessed. Because that's what the older brother did. Where's my party? See, but when you're in relationship intimately with God, then when I see you blessed, I'm like, yeah, yeah there it is again. I knew it. He's a rewarder. And if he's rewarding you, then it won't be too long before he starts to reward me too. Just if the, the keyboarder could come. You know, last point is this. See, religion will also cause you to seem as a judge instead of a dad. See, think about this. A judge looks at actions, what you've done or have not done, and then based purely on those actions determines your worth. A dad looks at who you are, and purely based on whose you are determines your worth. I remember I was praying for a young guy who had some struggles, and, and I was doing some prayer ministry with him, and, and as we were praying, I had this picture so clearly. And this picture I'd never seen before. Sometimes I see a lot of the same pictures. The reason for that is because we've all got the same problems. Sitting in a room pretending that we don't have the problems. Just as a sidetrack, let me tell you, if you won't take off your mask, your face can't get healed. You can come to church for 20 years. If you keep wearing your religious mask, your face will never get healed. And I saw this, this picture when I was praying for this young man and it was this being. And the main thing of the picture was not the being, but I knew the being was demonic, but it was holding up this measuring stick. And I knew instantly that what the picture meant was it was a religious spirit. Because what a religious spirit does is it's constantly holding up in our psyche a spiritual measuring stick. And whenever there's a spiritual measuring stick held up, there's only two ways you can go, and they're both bad. The, the first one is when it gets held up, yeah, better than most of the people at a live church. That other guy, he's only here like once a month. I'm here two services every week. I don't just tithe, I double tithe. And, and as soon as you go to that place, now you're in pride. But you know where most of us go and this would be my tendency where I'd go most of the time when that spiritual measuring is hard up. It's like, yeah, yeah, no, I fail. Too many mistakes. Stuff I knew I shouldn't have done, but I did it. Should have been a better dad. Should have been a better husband. Should have been a better pastor. Should have been a better leader. And that's where most of us go. You know, I was fasting and praying. It was about, I don't know, it might have been like nine months ago. And I was doing a three day fast, just committing to God, no food at all for three days. And I was gonna pray a bit more than I normally would. And I was on day two and I was walking down the street and, 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 and I'm praying, I was actually praying and then all of a sudden these, these thoughts come to me of mistakes that I've made in my past and I allowed those thoughts, the spiritual measuring stick I allowed those thoughts to come I started to think about it and meditate on it I went from sort of walking like this and now I'm like, yeah oh. and then for like three, four minutes I'm walking in this kind of almost depressed state now with my head down and then it was like God spoke to me and He gave me discernment and, and, and I was like, I came to my senses. I was like, hang on a second. Like, I'm fasting. That's the most spiritual thing in the whole Bible. Like, there's nowhere to go from that. Do you know what I'm saying? You can't ever be more spiritual than fasting and praying. And here I am, I'm like, I'm doing the most spiritual thing and I still feel not good enough. And it was like I discern, you stinking dirty religious spirit with your spiritual measuring stick. See, I wanna tell you right now, there's only one spiritual measuring stick and it's Jesus crucified on the cross. And every time you look to that measuring stick, He says you're holy, you're blameless, you're worthy, you're the apple of God's eye, you're a daughter, you're a son of the Most High God. Last story, last story. There, there's, a, I was preaching a little while ago in England and it was a youth conference about a lot of kids. And, and, and I preached on the love of the Father. And it was one of the greatest moves of God I've seen where the, the love of the Father came into that room like, like I've never seen. Where we had no music, we turned the music off and all you could hear was weeping and wailing as teenagers connected with the love of the Father. It was beautiful. At the end of the service, a man in an orange fluorescent vest because he was a volunteer. He was 70 years old. He comes up to me in a strong English accent. I could hardly understand him. Maybe what you feel like right now. And he comes up and he's a blubbering mess. And he says, Lucas, he says, I've been in church my whole life. He said, today, it took me to today to realise that He loves me just the way I am. Wept and it was a beautiful moment together that I'll treasure for the rest of my life. But as much as it was a beautiful moment, it was also a sad moment. It's like, how long have you been in the house? You were the coin, you were lost in religion. Do you want to know how you know when you're lost in religion? When it stops being a party. Remember, he was outside of the party. Now, I'm not gonna teach a theology to you that if you become a Christian, life will just be one big party, because that would not be true. There are mountaintops and there are valleys. But what I'm saying is if you've lost the wonder of that you get to connect with the living Word of God. and You you have a God that wants to speak to you and, and, and He wants to tell you about your future and vision. And, and, and if, that, if that part of it doesn't feel like a party at all, then maybe you're like the older brother that's outside of the party that everybody else is in. And the Father would plead today and say, hey, come into the party. I want to pray for you right now. If you're in this place and you either relate to the Younger brother, and you'd say, Lucas, if I be honest, I'm caught up in the thickets, I'm lost in the world, and today I'm drawing a line in the sand to step in a relationship with a loving father. Or or maybe you're in this place today and you relate more to the older brother. You say, Lucas, if I be honest, I'm in the house, but it's just become about religion for me, it's just become about ticking a box. There's no party in my relationship with dad you'd say Lucas I feel like I'm lost in the house lost in religion I'm gonna ask every person to close their eyes and bow their head and, and if you're in this place and when I get to three whether you're in the first thing of being lost in the world or in the second one where you feel like you're lost in religion when I get to three I want you to lift your hand I'll see it I'm not gonna get you out of the front but I'll include you in the prayer that I'm about to pray every eye close every head bow one friend I tell you he loves you more than you've ever dreamed or imagined Two. It doesn't matter what you've done, how many times you've done it, where you've been, or who you are. You're God's precious son or precious daughter. Three, all over this place. Lift your hand, heaven, right now. Yeah, I see your hand. Yeah, I see Anna. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see you, over there. I see you there. I see you there. I see you there. I see hand there. I see you there. Over 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 there of all of you here's what I want to do I want to close with this prayer for anyone that wants to do the Freedom Experience I'll be at the Next Steps dash. you can come and see me I can tell you a bit more about it but for all those people that lifted your hand I want you to repeat these words and meet them with all your heart but as a church family we're going to pray with you because we're going to celebrate this moment of you stepping into a relationship with a loving Dad come on meet it with all your heart and we'll, we'll all pray with you say dear Father Let's all pray. Say, dear Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sin. Thank you that you forgive me for everything that I've done wrong. Today, I step into relationship. I surrender my life to you. Father, help me to live for you. In Jesus' name. God bless you. Let's give God praise in this place. Thanks, Kate. If you want to hear more empowering messages and learn more about Church Alive, make sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at churchalive.tv. We hope to see you this weekend. Have a great week.